Hey everybody, it's Moscow here. Before we get started with today's show, wanted to thank you all so much for supporting our sponsors here at the Brewing Network. We appreciate it a lot. It goes a long way to helping keep the lights on around here. And along those lines, wanted to let you guys know that longtime BN homie Michael Fairbrother at Moonlight Meadery is having a special sale just for you guys in the BN Army. Right now, you can save 10% on two or more bottles by using code BNARMY over at MoonlightMeadery.com slash shop. If you guys don't know Moonlight Meadery, they make meads for any occasion, and they are the reference standards for mead categories in the BJCP style guidelines. That's right. These guys define the categories pretty much across the boards for meads. They are the best meads on the planet, Moonlight Meadery. So again, you can save 10% on two or more bottles of delicious, terrific, wonderful Moonlight Mead at MoonlightMeadery.com slash shop. Please use code BN Army, let them know we sent you. Show Michael you appreciate them and get some awesome mead to boot. Moonlightmeadery.com slash shop. Use code BN Army. And now here's the Sour Hour. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Oh, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear you? I can barely hear me. I'll turn this up. Should be good. Should be good. You yeah. sound good to me, my friend. All right. It's that time. Back on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network Studios. It's been a little while, I feel like. We're back home. Uh, downtown Concord. A little chilly today here in California. Not as chilly as, I'm sure, wherever you are listening, but <laughs> still, we're weak where we care, so we can't really take the cold. Uh, yeah, it's 50 degrees, and I can barely wear my flip-flops. Yeah. Feels bad, man. <laughs> uh, no Bevo today, unfortunately, but we got Scott here. Hey, Scott. What's up, brother? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Um, got a great guest tonight. Our old friend, Dr. Lambic, Matt Miller, from his new brewery, yes. Mellow Mink Brewing. Yes. Finally. Finally. It's been a long time coming, and uh, of course, if you've been a, a long-time listener of this show, you know we've been chatting with Matt for several years now, and he's been doing a lot to help people out with their sour beer, and now he's got brewery making sour beer and hoppy beer, all kinds of beer. I don't know, have you seen any of the, the pictures and stuff? I sure have. It's gorgeous. I tried to I tried to extract pictures from him before it was done. I was like, text me pictures. And he was like, no. He was like, wanted to save it for the reveal. I did see, I think, the first picture that was posted maybe like two weeks before they opened their door, something like that. It's really, it's looking beautiful. And we'll, this is our first foray into his uh, professional beer. We got a whole bunch of it sitting in the cold box here at the Brewing Network Studios. We're going to get into it in a bit. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. And I'm thirsty. So yeah, let's uh, let's hit it hard and then go from there. And we can, well, you know, he's got a lot to live up to. His home brewed beer was so far good. into the professional quality scale that what is his mm-hmm. professional going to be? You know, is there a whole tier we don't even know about? The best in the world. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to get my mind blown. Uh, always, we love your questions, comments, feedback, and you guys have always been great at giving that to us via email. Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. When we do have Bevo, you can watch us thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. You can also subscribe to the podcast, and we suggest you do. That helps us out a lot. And leaving us feedback on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you get this show would be 
fantastic. And thank you for that feedback as well. And I think we have a review of the week. (laughs) (laughs) This review comes from Cellphone04. It's titled, It Wasn't Sulfuric Acid After All. It's a five-star review. He said, as I walked around the tasting room during the fifth anniversary party, that would be the Rare Barrels fifth anniversary party, I noticed many of the barrels had SO3 plus H2O (laughs) written on them. I found this curious because SO3 plus H2O is H2SO4, otherwise known as sulfuric acid. Just days later, I was listening to episode 82, and then it made sense. It was steamed ozone. I am an enology student, chem heavy, at Fresno State. I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> and have started to, yeah, I'm a communications major, and I have started listening to your podcast during the commute. The podcast is fun, and in, <laughs> this is my favorite. The podcast is fun and informative at times. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up the good work. Thanks for the review, Cell Phone 04. We appreciate it a lot. That's uh, <laughs> <At times. laughs> That's informative. I wonder if he was like, the podcast is fun and informative, period. And then he was like, nah, backspace, backspace, no, yeah, backspace, no, no. at times. I rethink that. <laughs> I love that. That is like an interesting review. It's definitely a big backhanded, like positive review. For yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, this is pretty cool at times. And also your, also, ba- your barrels smart. are sulfuric and I'm super and smart. I'm smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do write uh, S. And then O3 and then H2O, which is just our shorthand for saying how we've treated the barrel. S, we just do for shorthand for steam. O3 is ozone. You had that correct. It's not steamed ozone. uh, So we just steam with hot water, actually. And uh, ozone rinse is another thing we do. Water rinse is another thing. Is there a such thing as steamed ozone? Um, Sure. I mean, you could do it. I think the ozone would come out of solution immediately I, I don't know how that would work exactly essentially we rinse with water to start to get the crap out then we steam to kill things and you know sanitize as much as you can hope for at that stage and then we use ozonated water to rinse to cool it back down to get to a lower temperature where there'll be less mold and bacterial growth um, and it also just continues that sanitization with the ozone so there's a method to that madness, but could you do all three at once? I guess probably not because you can't be hot and cold at the same time. Gotcha. Well, uh, the review from Cellphone04 did not include a rejoinder He's, suggestion. Uh, an anologist. Anology major. I don't know if you knew that. I'm at Fresno State. Chem heavy. Chem heavy. heavy. Uh, I did get a rejoinder suggestion a couple months back from Joe Smith, possibly not even an alias. Joe from Joe has, is more of like a blue collar working guy joe smith yeah he's a a union guy yep you know oh for sure he uh he writes in on one of his uh time and a half breaks from southern (laughs) pacific brewing company joe has a rejoin suggestion he's working on the railroad that's right (laughs) exactly the transcontinental railroad there's nothing like it in the world joe says he would like to suggest gut feeling by devo because he says it's one of my favorite intros to a song just already so we'll use that as this week's rejoin suggestion from joe First impressions. My gut feeling on this is pretty <laughs> positive. Wait for it. A little slow to start. Need some drums pretty soon. There you go. There we go. <laughs> hey, welcome back to the Sour Hour. 
That sounds pretty good. Is that what I sound like? <laughs> well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the suggestion, Joe. Appreciate Thanks it. so much. also want to thank uh, some of our great, great sponsors like Oregon Fruit Products. They have aseptic purees that are easy to use and convenient to store. No additives, nor artificial flavors. It's simply great expression of the raw fruit. And they love working with brewers. That's unusual. To help us innovate, check them out. Fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit to life. I also wanted to tell you to listen to the other BN shows. Sometimes I don't do this whole, the whole rundown on BN shows, but I made sure today that I have all the kind of more active ones listed. So we got Brew Strong, Mm -hmm. Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style. Heads and Tails, our friend Beardy on that. Yep, the the spirit show. Mm Mm-hmm. Shine Runner, which I haven't checked out yet. But I that have, looked really cool. Yeah, there's a couple of shows that are just a, like a couple months old. So, so a lot of new content in the recent months, and that's one of them. And this one's more like beer marketing or more, more business-oriented kind exactly. of? Exactly. Yeah, yep, for you pros out there. That's cool. I, I, I need that. <laughs> <laughs> Entre Cervezas. The, An Espanol. The Espanol show. Yep. Edgar, who's doing that, actually, I just heard from him, and he's... Uh, now running the wild cellar at Trillium. Oh, really? And yeah, he reached out because we're actually doing a collaboration with, or we had, a, we have an in progress collaboration with Trillium and uh, sending us a, a sample of Very that to cool. try out. So. Yeah, their beers, they were on, gosh, was it like a year ago? Ooh. I don't remember exactly how long ago Trillium was Maybe on. A little bit less, but yeah, something okay. like that. Uh, I remember their beers being stellar. Very good. And lost my place. Hop and Brew School. That's a new one from. Yes. Uh, from Yakima uh, Chief. Yakima Chief. Mm-hmm. Yep. See, I don't know anything about hops. So. <laughs> <laughs> from the farm uh, thing? Actually, on our last uh, Sour Hour, we did a live show at the Rare Barrel, California Sour Brewers Showcase, and uh, those guys came down. They are hanging out with Justin, and uh, that was great fun to have them in the house. And then the session, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of those last Sour Hour shows, we did our finally our first live broadcast at your house at the Rare Barrel. Yes, that, that was... was that was awesome. Awesome. Split into uh, two shows, as we usually do. Uh, we had Sante Adarius and, uh, let me check my notes, Russ, Russian, Russian mm-hmm. River. Yeah, it's Russian named River. after the actual Russian River up there yes. in the North Bay. Uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. It's a Russian brewery. Yeah, it's a bot. I can see it from my house. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Sarah Palin. <laughs> no, uh, Vinny came down actually yeah. in the midst of you know his uh, Windsor Brewery build out, which was really awesome of him. And uh, Tim and Adair from Sante came up. So that was the first show. Awesome beers and great conversations. And then we had uh, Tim and Aaron from Cellar Maker on the uh, second portion of the show, along with uh, Phil, our friend from, from uh, Almanac. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great... Uh, California Sour Showcase. So yep. check that out when it comes up. And what else, Scott? Oh, since the last show, Rare Barrel stuff, Alex, you guys know Tall Alex, our co-founder, has been, you know, it's kind of a where in the world is Tall Alex mm-hmm. situation. Uh, went up to Washington State in Seattle, and we're, we've sent a lot of beer up there just recently. Um, he's going to be going to New York in February for New York Beer Week. Tyler, our uh, director of sales and marketing, is going out to Boston for Extreme Beer Fest. I'm going to be in Colorado for um, Craft Brewers Conference coming up, and we'll be sending a lot more rare barrel beer to these places. So just nice to get it out of California while we're already kind of traveling there for events and stuff like that. But uh, 
if you live in these areas in the next few months, keep an eye out for rare barrel beer. And that's we're looking on tap. We're looking in bottles, both. Yeah, both, both. So if you guys have any great places that you love to drink beer or buy bottles, feel free to to let me know uh, around those areas. Just email, shoot me an email, Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. That'd be great. You guys have really got the uh, the, the greasy wheels turning over there. That your your, mm-hmm. your production is to a point where you're now getting sending sending stuff out of state. It's great. Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure how like regular it will be i don't you know we may not be permanent fixtures in these markets but you know when it's when we're going there it's nice to have some events and have some beer on tap while we're there because it kind of sucks when you go somewhere and it's like oh i've heard a lot about your beer but i've never had it and you're like you like, can't get it here either yeah yeah too bad sorry yeah i might i might have a <laughs> bottle of in my own backpack maybe oh no that's gone yeah sorry <laughs> so how um I mean, I imagine that the places you're going, the you know, the proprietors of the bars and stores and stuff where it's going were really stoked to get your product, mm-hmm. I think, because, you know, presumably they have their ear really dialed to the craft beer world, the people who are going to really want Rare Barrel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's like a sort of zeitgeist in the craft beer world right now where that sort of like middling whatever regional, you know, wholesale distribution-based model, more people are finding that coming up snake eyes because, you know, there's so much more margin just to sell your own product over your own counter the sort of the hyper local whatever is you know is making a lot of sense for people so now that you know you're sort of branching out into wider distribution than you ever have before was the reason to do that because there are uh, there are markets maybe clamoring for rare barrel beer that might not be clamoring for you know chippewa falls brewing ipa you know well, Do you know what I'm saying? Sorry, Chippewa Falls. <laughs> I mean, your IPA is great and everything, but you know, I don't know that they want to drink it uh, in Kansas City. Yeah. But yeah. they do want to drink Rare Barrel. Is that what was driving the distribution uh, desire? Yeah, it's a little bit of that, a little bit of you know our travel schedule. And yeah, have, while, while we're here, we might as well have some of the events and promote the brand. And of course, I mean, people from all over the country can join our beer club too, the Ambassadors of Sour. So, you know, it promotes that. We can do local pickup and we can ship within California, but we've got plenty of people from out of state, out of the country who join the beer club. So, that, and that's been great for us. So it just promotes the brand. We want to share our good, good to good plus sour beer. <laughs> so modest. <laughs> and, uh, although you did not yeah. medal this year, I will point out. Speaking of metal, Scott, <laughs> festival of barrel aged beers, the, the Great Beer Fest in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We actually uh, we won medals in both sour beer oh, categories. Did Thank you, you now? very much. Well, yeah. Kettle sour. Thank there you. to go. No, no. <laughs> uh, for yeah, non non fruited sour beer and fruited sour. Beer. Nice. You for forces win. Uh, we won for the search, which was our uh, top ten barrels from our search for the rare barrel uh, blended together, and also the fruited sour we won for was guava happens mm, god beer's so good pretty sure <laughs> we think guava happens may could, be a metal be, winning beer could be mixing up my beers there did you win another one for guava happens yeah like that's two why years i feel ago? like now i'm maybe mixing you win a world beer cup medal for that beer right we did yes i yeah. remember well, okay, it's a medal-winning beer, yeah. either now or before. Might be wrong. You know, and I just to clarify, like I, the reason I was asking about the distribution thing is I'm, I'm mm-hmm. always I'm mm-hmm. just trying to think of like barrel room guy in Boston who has a little program, and he's like, ooh, maybe I can distribute if I can get my production up to the point. But like, would he want to? No. You know, no, we're not really doing it for like profit, which is why I said, you know, maybe maybe there's it's not a permanent fixture. I mean, if it was profitable, we'd 
maybe do it a lot more. Sure. But yeah, it's a very expensive beer to make. I would and imagine, and getting it out everywhere. Yeah, the farther away from your brewery, the less money you're going to make. But yeah, it doesn't always mean you can't. You don't want to sell a beer. I mean, sure, give, give beer away sometimes to charity. Of course. So. Gotcha. All right. Do we, should we do a question before break or just go? You know, I think I want the doc on the line for all questions. So let's get to a break and get to his beer, and then we'll do questions with him. Is Sounds cool? good. We'll get the beer, too. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the, the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew for Your Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Harrison from Beachwood Bundery. You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Yeah. We're back. Sour Hour. Got Matt on the line, Holman. From Mellow Mink Brewing. Just want to say that we're going to get into some questions tonight. <laughs> And this is the ultimate because that all the questions are brought to you by Dr. Lambic. Yes, they are. Team at sourbeerblog.com. Check out those articles on Sour Beer Blog. It's a great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend sour beer at home. And now the Sour Beer Blog crew is opening up a new brewery. In fact, it's already open in central Pennsylvania, Mechanicsburg, PA, to about two hours west of Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. Check them out, Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. Co-founder, beer genius, Dr. Lambic himself, Matt Miller. Are you there? It's a lovely live read, Jack. Yeah, see, you can, you're can you here to, in real time to approve or disapprove, and it sounds like that was a resounding <laughs> thumbs up. It was a very it's a very sounding thumbs up. How, how are you two doing? We're doing well. And I just want to point out, Matt, it wasn't a live read. It was from the heart. I yeah. Mean, you know. oh, yeah. So, Matt, what should I go grab first from the pro selection? I would grab the Hop Moon first. Hop Moon. All right. I will be right back. All right. Great. How is the Founders Club turning out with the the challenge going? <laughs> Very well. Uh, everyone, I think everyone who's made it into the tap room has, uh, has enjoyed it. We haven't had anyone challenging each other at the bar with their challenge coins. Um, but I have had a couple of founders that stopped in and they definitely had it with them. So it's pretty. It's been pretty cool. Awesome. Well, this has been such a long time coming, uh, Matt. And congrats on on getting to this point. Uh, you know, I, it, anytime uh, you know a good friend of ours gets uh, gets close and opens their own brewery, it reminds me of opening the Rare Barrel. What's been what's what's the process been like for you uh, up to this point? It's been a lot of fun and also very nerve wracking. Uh, you know, anytime you kind of venture into the unknown it's it's uh it can be uh 
ridden with some anxiety, but it, it's also been very rewarding. I, we, we've really enjoyed the process, and I will say, though, the best part of the process is actually the opening and the, the operating and the making the beer, because um, the legal, uh, <laughs> legal stuff and the construction, it's not nearly as entertaining. Yeah, so what, what's gone wrong or what was like way harder than, than you thought it would be when you decided to dive in? To be honest, everything went fairly smoothly. Time frames were what we imagined the time frame would be was completely skewed from what it actually became. Definitely everything took longer than we expected, but there wasn't any point where anyone, you know, government agency or otherwise was like told us like, no, you can't do this. You need to change something significant. Um, it was really just a matter of, you know, trying to organize everything and keep things moving forward, even though a lot of projects with opening a brewery are kind of dependent upon the previous parts being done. So it's, it's definitely a lot of hurry up and wait. Oh, yeah, for sure. One, it's amazing. One thing I keep hearing from new brewery owners is just, you know, everything took longer than I expected. But I think there's there's like and I don't know, correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, Scott, there's some sort of paradox with that where it's like you you hear how long things are going to take from a brewery that opened a year ago, and they heard it from the brewery before them and the brewery before them. And so is everything just continuing to take longer than the brewery before? And then, like, doesn't this, right. aren't we at, like, oh, so, it takes 10 years to open a so, brewery Right, now? exactly. So in other words, the very first brewery that ever opened took seven days. Because our brewery, yeah, I, like, Ask people, oh, how long does this part take? How long does that part mm-hmm. take? And then it was always longer. Always. And so then I tell people what our timeline was. And it was and longer it was than that. longer for them. Yeah, you're right. So eventually it's going to take 47 <laughs> years to open a brewery. I think we're just all on, like, alternate timelines. Exactly. Now. Well, also, you, know, you you like, try to estimate conservatively, like, on your spreadsheets, on your calcs, you know, mm-hmm. that you're doing before you open. You're like, yeah. well, you know, this should take three months. But you know what? Let's say five. Yep. Because, you know, we always know it takes longer. And then it takes eight and, and a half. And it takes longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange. Yeah. I, I can say on my part, it was probably a little bit of wishful thinking, too. It, it took longer than I wanted it to take. It, it took about a, I would say it was 15 months all in. And that does include even finance raising and everything else. So it. Yep. That's that's quite a while. Are you still there? Yes, I am. Oh, sorry. sorry. I just trailed off there. I kind of was at a loss for words how to, where to continue <laughs> there. But yeah, it, it took a while. We got licensed. We, we got our final approvals uh, in early July, started brewing that same week, and um, we opened then Labor Day weekend to the public. Nice. How, how was that initial uh, weekend? It was packed. It was it was a really great turnout. We were we were excited and uh, and a little stressed out by it, but it was it was really a lot of fun. Very cool. And the space is beautiful too. Well, that's actually what I was going to ask about next. You know, I've seen plenty of pictures of the space, and uh, Cole's doing a great job with the uh, photography, by the way. But oh, maybe you. you could give us like a not a visual because we're on a podcast, but an auditory tour of you know what what the mink looks like when you walk in. So it's fairly unassuming from the outside. We're actually in a strip mall, but the reason we went with that, uh, with this space, is that it really was, space-wise, it it was what we were looking for. Um, we knew we could do the things we wanted in this in this space without 
having to go through uh, extreme utilities and systems renovations, you know, things like that. Uh, the space came pretty ready for us to just start building it out the way we wanted it to be. Uh, and there's also an enormous amount of parking available, which is always nice, uh, especially in the area that we are from. It's a very um, commuter population. There's really not a lot of walking, and you d you definitely have to drive. Uh, there's not a, a significant public transit system around here either. So people are driving or, or Ubering, lifting pretty much everywhere they're going. When you walk through the doors, uh, it's I would say it's like a casually elegant space. We have a, a fairly large bar, I think, as far as tap rooms are, are considered. It's like a 30-seat granite-top bar. We've got kind of a variety of bench seating, table seating. And uh, on the back half, uh, as you look across the bar, we have a um, our barrel racks and our cooperage is in the tap room. So it's a, it was a nice way for us to, you know, show people the barrels, show people the aging sour beer, and give give tap room you know customers that kind of connection to the beer without having all the stainless steel and um, brewing chemicals and everything sort of out there just in the tap room as well. All right, so we've got Hot Moon open. Tell us about this beer. Starting off, it's four point two percent. Great start. Hot Moon is one of our lightest ABV beers. It is um, based loosely on a Berliner Weiss recipe, and we dry hop it with a blend of um, mostly American hops. A lot of them are common, like West Coast IPA type of hops. The whole idea here was to create something on our menu that had a, uh, a light to moderate tartness, but also brought forward like that hop character that would it be an introductory beer for people if they've had pale ales, IPAs, things that they're they're familiar with there, but they've really not tried sour beers before. We often uh, suggest this as kind of like, why don't you give this a try as your first? If it, if it is your first time with a sour beer, this one is got some flavors that you will also be familiar with from other craft beers. Do you have guest taps? We don't. We have the potential for it, but we have yet to run any guest taps. Are you doing the all-tart model? We like the, the draft list to be divided approximately half and half. Right now, it's, it's leaned a little further to the sour side. Um, but we do, we do do some non-sour beers as well. We have um, two IPAs and a, and a double oatmeal stout on right now. Gotcha. Uh, in addition to the sour beers. Uh, the goal with the taps is to always have at least half of our taps um, sour beers. And then our entire like aging bottling program is all going to be mixed culture, oak-aged, blended sours, and like farmhouse saisons. That sounds great. And you know, you mentioned bottling. Are you got you know? I just for people who, since we're not on camera right now, uh, we've got uh, a bottle here in front of us. Is this the bottle you guys will be using, or just it's, it was a? It's not actually. We we're intending to go with. Um, like a Belgian style, uh, 750 milliliter capped, capped style. And we, we intend to, we haven't started blending for bottling yet. Everything's still aging at this point. Uh, we intend to begin our first bottlings starting after the new year. Um, but everything will be, you know, blended in house and bottle conditioned, um, before release. So that's, 
we, we kind of think of the beer program here as kind of having two two halves of a coin, like two sides of a coin. The draft program, we try to focus on things that are a little cleaner, a little bit more approachable, more quick to produce so that we can, you know, you can stop in anytime and we'll have a, a variety of sour beers on draft to pick from. And then over time, we'll be doing, um, the goal is to do about a once a month bottle release with a portion of those being available to go and then some being held back for in-house only. That way, over time, we can build up a, uh, a library of, of bottles that you can drink in-house as well that are all aged and blended sours. Cool. We should say Jay's asking that because we have it's a it's a unique bottle. It's like a cross between a red stripe bottle and a Russian River bottle, and that that was hand filled for for the the purposes of this show, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think I saw somewhere in one of your uh, initial announcement articles that you guys were looking for or hiring a head brewer, and I know your fans across the world are crushed by that news that you're not the head brewer. But is that am I getting my facts right? So it's still the same two-person brewing team uh, that we've had th- from our homebrew days. Uh, Kale Baker is is the titled head brewer here, um, but it really is a team between me and him writing the recipes, doing all the sensory, and uh, Kale does the majority of the actual labor. So I got out uh, much easier on that on that end of things i tend to focus on on running the business and getting to do all of the fun sensory and blending stuff and and he tends to work on the hot side warp production and um most of our our janitorial sanitation really keeping the brew house up and running smoothly nice yeah well we like kale too that's fine yeah kale's all right (laughs) if you you have enough uh double oatmeal stouts do you do you slur between coal and kale to where it gets just really confusing? <laughs> I don't tend to because um, I th- I get in pretty big trouble for that I think, but <laughs> other people definitely do. <laughs> I know I've screwed that up a couple times. What do you think, Scott? Should we do a question? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do let's do it. We already did we already did our not live read just off the top of my head. Yeah, so right. Brought to you to by it. Present Company. Yeah. Okay, this is from uh, Daniela from Sen- from Seattle. Daniela says, hi, I love the show so much, less than three. First time I've emailed, I have a burning question. Here it is. I have on hand a yeast strain that produces a massive amount of bubblegum flavor and aroma, mostly from increased expression of a rose ketone gene. It's off the chain, really. I'm thinking about brewing, doing primary ferment with this strain, then pitching a bunch of bottle drags and letting it sour. I'm really curious as to how the bubblegum aromas and flavors would be transformed throughout the souring process. I'm sure it would depend on a lot of random exogenous factors, but I'm really just interested in what might happen to that bubblegum and looking for advice from experts like you. So, I'm wondering if you have ever used a bubblegummy yeast like this for primary ferment, and if so, how did the bubblegum flavor and aromas trace throughout the secondary souring process. Were they still notable at the end? Did they transform? There are enough big words in there that I know to toss this to the doctor first. (laughs) Our house mixed culture that is um, like a blend of Brett, uh, French Saison, and souring bacteria can go through a short period of time, usually less than two weeks, where it throws quite a bit of bubble gum uh, early in the ferment, early in like primary fermentation. But it really quickly disappears uh, once, and what I believe is happening is the Brett is transforming most of that ester into other 
into other things, usually more like stone fruit type characteristics, I would expect that in a lot of cases it would be transformed. It, I guess it, to, to what degree it would just really depend on what strains are involved. Yep, I agree with that. We we do have some of that in a lot of our mixed culture ferments. Um, if you're trying to keep it, maybe one suggestion I would make is to make a clean beer with that yeast and only introduce, and I don't, I'm not sure if she mentioned if it was a good attenuator or if it was just captured from somewhere. Cause sometimes those very um, expressive yeasts that people might wild capture or something like that, they're not a good attenuator, so mm. they can't even ferment on their own. Um, but if, if she's making fully attenuated beer with it, then uh, what I would do is do that and then just blend in uh, an amount of mixed culture or mixed culture beer at the end of the process right before bottling and then just bottle it and try to have some calculations on how much residual sugar you have left and then count on the mixed culture to ferment it down if if you think the mixed culture can do that. So that's kind of like a beer decoupage type of approach to this. And my idea there is that those aromas will still transform, but you won't lose it while you're waiting for the mixed culture to do its work over many months in an oak barrel or a glass carbide, something like that. You're not going to really ever come across bottle dregs that don't have bread in there. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Right. So yeah. whatever she pitches from bottle dregs wise is going to have some of that bread in there that's going to do what Matt is suggesting and clean up some of those esters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck, Daniela. Thanks for the email and uh, let us know how it goes. Do we have time for one more? Or should we do? Um, let's uh, <laughs> well, grab another beer during the break. What should I get, Matt? What's number two? Uh, let's see here. So two of the beer, one of the beers isn't sour. It is a, it's a Brett table saison. That one's kind of a wild card. You could throw it in wherever you want, but it's the lightest ABV ABV beer that I sent um, at three point one percent. Maybe we should do that one next. Okay, that sounds good to me. I can we can do uh, we can do another question. We we have a little bit of time if you guys want to tackle one more. All right, I need to thank its sponsor. Absolutely. Too. Oh yeah, well let's yeah let's do that. Should we do that? Yeah. Okay. I'd like to thank uh, one of our great sponsors and intense mellow mink rival Nishamity Creek Brewing, <laughs> three times Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brew of the Year. Are you close enough to Philly to qualify for that, Matt? As an intense rival? Yeah. I, I don't. I, I don't think so. Okay. He's just saying that because he's scared. <laughs> <laughs> Got to go after that smoke lager. Yeah, you do. <laughs> two-time uh, GABF Vienna style lager medal winner. Two-time bronze winner for smoke lager. Renovated tasting room with a variety of beer styles, from hoppy double IPAs to sessionable poundable lagers, oak fermented saisons, and sour beers. Free brewery tours on Saturdays. New second location open for the last ten years. I don't know. I've lost count at this time. He, uh, or maybe based on the whole uh, timeline thing, he still isn't open yet. Yeah. And we've just misread this whole thing from the beginning. Check him out. com. <laughs> this is from Brett Moore. He does confirm Brett is his real name. Isn't, no, that full name is his real name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brett Moore. So if it's listed 
last name first, more comma Brett. More Brett. Wow. That's right. Real name confirmed. Incredible. Hey guys, big fan of the show, etc. The session is terrible, etc. We are getting a mobile cool ship soon. The plan is to brew the wort at breweries and cool places around the UK. Brett Brett's email address is at the, the London Beer Factory. So that's his brewery. Uh, is it in London? I'm assuming it is. You should go visit it, dude. I'm going to go. I'm, Absolutely. I'm hopping on a flight in a few hours. That's right. He's going to jam on the Concord over to the London Beer Factory. Uh, anyway, we're going to brew the wort at cool places around the UK, pump it into barrels, and then pump it into a cool ship when in a desirable location. Before we get it, uh, the cool ship that is, to prepare, I'm thinking of taking my homebrew kit on the road and doing small test batches in areas we might want to use. So I'm wondering... Could you recommend what kind of wort I should make? Since I think turbid mashing will prove to be quite difficult in other breweries. I can fill four or five carboys with wort and then take it along with my burner and kettle and do the boil on the road. Do you see any potential danger there? Um, should I just do a yeast capture in a mason jar instead of all that work? I'm sorry. Let's just pause when he says, take my burner with me and do it while on the road. Is there any danger there? I just imagined him <laughs> while driving doing the burn. I was totally. like, any danger there? Question yeah, mark? <laughs> yeah, totally. Car fire? Um, I don't know, Matt. How would you approach this? I, We have uh, yet to do any actual spontaneous fermenting at the brewery, although we are planning to start experimenting with this, this winter with it, uh, just a few barrels worth of wort. I guess it depends what you're going for ultimately. If you're trying to make something that is going for traditional lambic flavors, I don't really think that there's a good way to do that other than traditional turbid mashing and, and you know really adhering to the process. But that being said, uh, the Cool Ship is a cool toy that can be used for all different kinds of beers. I mean, you can make saisons and other mixed culture sours and things like that on it that that the intention is for them to turn around during a faster period of time so that's something definitely to consider i would think going to some other breweries in my understanding and just limited uh homebrew experience i've had with with producing these kind of warts i i do think that if you intend for the beer to be in barrels as a spontaneous fermentation product for more than 12 months as many residual sugars you know higher dextrins things that can give the Britannomyces and some of these other organisms uh, a long time to chew on them and sustain them over that entire aging period i think it's it's definitely pertinent to do so so it really depends on the goal. If you're doing something that, that you're going to try to turn around in a shorter period of time, maybe blend, you could create a, a, a much more fermentable wort and still use your cool ship. But if you want to age it for a while and uh, you know do primary fermentation barrels, leave it there the entire like lifespan of one to two years, uh, I think as many residual dextrins in the wort as possible is, is important. Yep, agree with all that. And if you're thinking about brewing with other breweries, you know that can be as simple as mashing in uh, higher than you know you're used to. You can use some some raw, so a certain percentage of uh, raw grains in the grist. But yeah, I mean, it, I think doing these trials couldn't hurt to give you some context. But yeah, I wouldn't say you're you're sunk if if it doesn't work out. Just uh, you know, build a build a wart that is resistant to bad things i would say is a good good start so 
heavily hopped, I would say. You know, we did our our first spontaneous beer at the Rare Barrel last winter, and um, you know, hopped at a pound per uh, BBL with aged hops, and it's pretty sour actually. So I think we're going to up that this year. So take that with a with a grain of salt. I'd be curious too after the break to hear uh, Matt's approach to aged hops and how frequently you're, he's using them and, and stuff. So let's uh, let's good. sit on that. Yep, let's sit on that and come back. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. <laughs> Hi, this is Ryan Wheaton, the host of a new podcast called Branding Brews. Branding Brews is a show focused on marketing, branding, and design for the beer industry. I have spent over 14 years as a professional designer. As a host, I bring my knowledge to the show to interview other great beer professionals. Whether you're thinking about starting a brewery, already own a brewery, want to learn more about marketing beer, or you're a seasoned veteran, this show is for you. This show will cover topics such as rebranding a brewery, package and label design, crowdfunding, design, social media, plus much more related to promoting and creating a great beer brand. Make sure to check out the show along with useful show notes at brandingbrews.com. You can also subscribe to the Branding Brews podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Again, check us out at brandingbrews.com. We're back. Great singers. What would our group name be if it was us two? Um, Moscow win. Mo- Good scow. Good scow. <laughs> we'll workshop it. Matt, you got a suggestion? What would our what would our boy boy group be? The sour singers. Oh, That's okay. good. That's much better it's than leader. good scowl. It's, it's the leader in the clubhouse, for sure. <laughs> uh, speaking of leaders, Wine & Hop Shop, wineandhop.com, locally owned and operated for over 40 years. Please let the Rare Barrel be in business that long. Most <laughs> items ship within 24 hours. Good and luck. Lovely BN listeners get $8 flat shipping rate on orders under 25 pounds. Just go ahead and enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. The discount's going to be taken off after checkout. And Madison, Wisconsin residents, go Badgers. Order your homebrew supplies <laughs> at wineandhop.com and pick them up at Working Draft Beer Company, located on Wilson Street, right across from Central Park. We'll waive the shipping and give you half off your first beer. No reason not to go. Wineandhop.com. Boom. All right. All right. We so, got the uh, horse divorce. The table Brett says on in our that, glasses. That's a great name. Horse divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about this one. This one's great. Thanks. Uh, so this is um, this is like our favorite beer. This is our brewer's beer. It's three point one percent ABV. Um, very dry. It's fermented with a house mix culture. Um, dry hop with noble hops and whole melon. It packs a lot of flavor and holds its own for being such a light beer um sort of inspired uh you know i was inspired years ago by petit prince uh from jester king and have always been looking to 
uh, craft some of these really awesome, like, low ABV table beers that are funky and floral and spicy. But you can sit down, drink a couple pints, and still be fine. So what did you find, the, and I think you succeeded in doing that, what did you find the, the key to success as, or did you just nail this on the first time out? <laughs> we brewed this uh, homebrew size batches half, probably half a dozen times over the years. I, I think tips for brewing like a well-rounded table beer are sometimes when you're building a malt profile, Brewers tend to kind of kitchen sink things and throw a lot of different types of malts in there. And usually that isn't great for higher ABV or more standard um, styles, but I think it actually works pretty well for table beers. So we include um, wheat and rye and multiple types. Of, I think there are oats and uh, multiple barley varieties. So and it's really just trying to build up enough um, protein and just create a, a malt backbone that is robust, even though it ferments out to complete dryness. Like the final gravity on this beer is, is 1002. And I think that's a, 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 a way to help them keep their uh, body. And the other thing is, is I think it's important to keep some Saccharomyces in the mix the glycerol that's produced by Saccharomyces fermentation, it helps to boost body and, and provide like uh, the, you know, a fuller drinking beer while still being lower in alcohol. I also think that dry hopping is fairly important with these styles that the, um, doesn't have to be a lot, but a little bit of dry hopping goes a long way with giving the Brett even more, esters to work with to help it develop a really nice kind of house and uh, i would say farmyard character yeah it's got something unique along with uh, the traditional farmhouse characteristics it also has i don't know if i'm picking it up as like anise like a black licorice type of thing it's 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 not a common flavor it's interesting you say that scott because i and i didn't get this in the first three four sips even but i got like a like a mint. Yeah, mint. That was actually the first thing that came to my mind. But I was like, no, dial it in more than that. It's is is it mint? I don't know. Maybe it's black licorice. But the first thing that came to my mind was mint. You think that's coming from the hops, Matt, or do you, do you get that too? Do you know what we're talking about? I do. I think it comes from an interaction of the hops and the and the mixed culture. I've had people describe it as jasmine. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely get like. Like you're saying, like it has notes of like, without being like licorice flavored, it, it has that sort of anise anise quality. But I, I I don't know if you can narrow it down to one or the other. I definitely think it like is the interplay between the two that helps to drive some of those more um, floral and and different types of like herbal spicy characteristics. It does it well. I love it. It's, it's so cool. It's really layered in there. Yes, like, it is. Because you, you can go back and try and find it again and then it's like oh it's not there yeah and then when you're not looking for it it's like oh wait no there it is so again. true yeah really cool complex beer for something that's 3.1 especially yeah um, no kidding you know i agree uh matt with what you're saying with all the grains so and i think the hops too make a big difference so i want to ask you about a little bit more on on the amounts there so you mentioned layering in different grains when it comes to maybe like the non what you, what you might consider base malt, the non-base malt grains in this beer. What what's the combined percentage of all this? I won't make you go through, you know, each one individually, but 
how much of that are you building into the total grist? Let's see here. You're you're asking what are all the non like barley malts? Yeah, if you added the rye, the oats, um, if you have any other more raw grains in there or like kind of specialty grains. The what, the Jägermeister, yeah. you know. Yeah, the Jäger. <laughs> Taste that anise. It's it's over fifty percent. We we do about it's fifty to sixty percent non barley, flaked and malted. Is that more or less than you would have thought, Jay? That's more, but for the best session beers that I've had, it approaches 50%. Where mm-hmm. usually you're talking about 10, maybe in traditional sour beer making, you're more in like the 20 to 40% range. More than 50 is, that that's got to be a little bit of a fun brew day. Luckily, because it's so, it's so low ABV, it's... Um, even if you would stick the mash, it's it's not a particularly deep bed on our system compared to other some of the other beers that we brew. So it's, um, but we we also a, a lot of our recipes incorporate a fairly high percentage of like non barley grains. So we use a lot of rice hulls as well to nice. just help uh, keep keep the um, keep the mash keep it from sticking. We also do like protein resting and. Um, on rare occasion, like a beta glucan rest uh, for things to keep keep things from getting too crazy there. So, Jay, is the, is the thought that uh, like all of these different uh, other other base malts gives it that layered, complex depth despite the low ABV? Is is that the correlation? So, I think that that's part of what Matt's saying. But what uh, and and I can't disagree with that. But I guess what I've found is that. The sheer volume of non-malted barley grain in the recipe, whether it's fit, because I'll give you an example. I think Founders Brewery does their all-day IPA, Mm -hmm. which is now everywhere. Um, I'm pretty sure that's 50% corn. Hmm. So Flake Maze is in there. 50%? Yeah. I, I really like that beer. And I just, there's, there's a lot of other examples that come to mind where... The 50% non-barley really helps make the beer seem more like beer because I've just found if you don't if you don't approach the session beers in a special way, they're not they can have fermentation problems. They can taste really thin or too um, acrid and bitter in certain cases. But I think the complexity comes a lot from the mixed culture fermentation with the hops, which is actually the other thing I wanted to ask about. What are the amounts of uh, these these Noble and Hule Melon uh, hop additions, and including the uh, the dry hop that you mentioned, Matt? All right. I, I have my recipe up here now. It's, it's scaled for a five-barrel batch, keep in mind. We do an 11-ounce addition of Magnum at 40 minutes uh, to lay down some base bittering. There is a combined 44-ounce, uh, evenly split addition uh, of Holler Tower and Whole Melon in the Whirlpool. And then we dry hop with 80 ounces each of Holler Tower and Whole Melon after, like, the peak of fermentation. Interesting. That's lighter than I would have thought. Just because there, there's so much uh, like flavor and characteristics mm-hmm. that the hops seem to have imposed on this beer. Yeah, hmm. yeah, I think so. What's what's the reason for the forty minute bittering? It is 
good question. I, I don't <laughs> just have because, a good dude. For that. Yeah, just feel like it. <laughs> Four, Forty seems like a good. Yeah, it's our signature move. So I would be remiss if I didn't, uh, from my question from before the break, Matt, uh, regarding age tops and how uh, has, how how see, has Scott, your... you. you... <laughs> You're always the best. At, I completely forget what happens the segment before, and you always remember. I, I do some. I do sometimes. I try. I, I happen to be not that many beers deep on this particular show where we're going I, gingerly whoa. here. <laughs> I thought we were going beer for beer here. Oh, we're gonna try. I got. I got to start chugging. But anyway, Matt, have you have you been using H tops yet? And you know I, what? What really sp- spawned the question is, you know, on the last shows we did at the Rare Barrel, I remember asking Vinny who I believe is just using age tops across the board for in, in his sour program. I think he's only using age tops if I'm remembering that correctly. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking like, you know, if I'm building a barrel program, why not just use age tops across the board to impart that extra interestingness, you know, into my sour beer? Like, wh- I don't know your, your thoughts on that notion. I, I think that it's a good idea in a lot of cases. We are incorporating them into some of the aged barrel stock and, we're doing some primary fermentation of uh, farmhouse saison in barrels, and we're using age hops as a dry hopping addition in in that, which I, I will say some of these things are experimental, so it, whether we'll still be doing it a year or two from now, I don't know. But the thing that I've kind of picked up with on age hops uh, on a couple of homebrew batches is you know, especially when you're you're looking at uh, you know the traditional example like uh, spontaneous fermentation of a of a wort with aged hops, it takes a long time for those to mellow out. And even at the the rates that the rates that keep the beer from becoming like ridiculously sour too quickly, also make the beer very bitter. And it takes a while for that to age and mellow. So. You know, we don't incorporate them into any of the draft sours, uh, but we are using them in in the aged sours. You know, not across the board, but definitely kind of here and there. The kind of goal, I I mean, it's the same thing that I I always enjoyed doing as a home brewer is I would make all these different types of batches and be able to blend them, you know, carboy to carboy over time. And that's that's why I like the barrel program so much is, you know, we're, we're trying to every time we produce wort for a set of barrels, we're trying to do things a little bit differently just so we have a lot of options down the road. How do you react to the notion, Jay? Well, I, I agree with Matt's point there. One thing I would say is, you know, when you're working with A-Shops and you are aging your own, it's like the classic a stitch in time saves nine where if you spend longer aging the hops before adding them to the beer, they're going to be more neutral. Um, and maybe you'll need to wait out the kind of harsher flavors a little bit less. We've been lucky to source like just some really old neutral hops along the way. Um, but if you buy fresh hops and then end up not using them, and then you're going to be aging them, especially if they're pellets, you might you might be waiting a while so uh that's one thing but yeah i think there's you know i, I don't think you need to use aged hops i think using hops and sour beer produces a lot of interesting flavors with their interaction with mixed cultures but you know matt's horse divorce here is maybe what you might term kind of like old world more noble hoppy then you'll have some new world 
uh, sour beers or mixed culture beers going on that are going to be more of like your Citra Galaxy, you know, Cool Kid Hops, Mosaic. Then you have aged hops in another category, which is going to be a different flavor. And then how about even just local or wet hops or estate hops? That's going to be even another one to do. So I, I think it's not just all one way to treat hops, but aged hops are, are certainly a part of it. Hmm. Yep. Yep. You know, I think, uh, Matt, I'm, I, this beer might have its own uh, theme song. We just need to rewrite the, the Mr. Ed theme song. <laughs> a horse is a horse. Of course, divorce. A horse is a divorce. It seems like we could pretty easily rework that into a theme song for this beer. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, and then maybe Jay and I, the sour singers, can mm -hmm. do the rendition of it. You know, when cell phone 04 left the review and said it was <laughs> at times entertaining, this is what he's talking about. No, Scott. I think he said at times informative. Oh, informative. This is not one of those times. Oh, so it's always entertaining. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, is it time for a show break? Yes, it is. All right. I think we're going to have Matt hang on and talk more beer. You cool with that, Matt? Absolutely. What's the next beer I should do, brother? Uh, I would go for the Passion Fruit Goza. Ooh, Ooh. Looking forward to that. That's a tease. Got to remember that on the yeah, other side. Thanks to Matt Thanks, Mellow Matt. Mink. Thanks to the rest of the sponsors. Thanks to you, Scott. You're welcome. No thanks to Bevo. Thanks to you, listeners. Until next time, stay sour. Forty years. Please let the rare barrel be in business that long.